us to be here again today. And God, we pray now that you would uh, bless the proclamation of your word and help us to see what you'd have us to see and understand what you have us to understand and apply those things that you have us to apply for us. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to our text for the day that was so eloquently read by uh, Dr. Williams in Matthew chapter 1. And I want to begin reading. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 2. And I want to begin reading with verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream they, that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I want to preach this morning from the subject, Keeping Christ in Christmas, the church's responsibility. Keeping Christ in Christmas, the church's responsibility. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of Herod's kingship, wise men, also referred to as magi from the east, traveled to Jerusalem with a question. The question on their minds in verse 2 was this, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The rationale for their trip as well as the reasoning for their question was because these men had seen a star in the east. And had traveled many miles to find Jesus, to find the Messiah and worship him. Many um, biblical scholars believe that they were on this search because of Daniel who had been in captivity years ago and who had perhaps shared the truth of the one true and living God with the ancestors of these wise men. They understood the prophecy of Micah saying that he would come and so now they have this burning desire in their hearts like many of us had to see Jesus. And so they traveled many miles. We don't know the exact amount of miles they traveled. Some say it was 800. Some say 1,000 or more. But these wise men traveled all this way to see Jesus. Now, the wise men, I need you to know, were influential men of great learning and authority. And it's interesting now that there were also shepherds who came to see Jesus who were, who were despised and rejected and unlearned as far as, um, uh, education, as far as education was concerned. But these wise men were the opposite. And I need you to understand that Jesus came for all people and all kinds of people, the intellectual as well as the unintellectual, the influence and affluent as well as the non-affluent. Jesus came for all. These men were wise from the east. They were, they were learned and, and, and they were skilled in, in science. They were skilled in philosophy. 
Uh, they were skilled in medicine and astrology. They were brilliant men. It is believed that they were advisors to the Persian rulers and the Persian king. When Herod the king heard about the wise men's visit, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled for several reasons. First, he knew that the Jewish people expected Messiah to come, expected a Savior to come, and most of them expected this Savior, this coming Savior, this Messiah, to be a great military leader and to deliver them from the political harassment of Rome. Second, Herod was troubled because he was not the rightful heir to the throne of David. He reigned by appointment from Rome, not by appointment from God. He, he understood this. Of course, his thinking was if the Jewish people were to accept this baby, accept this Messiah, accept this prophetic one who was to come, his throne would be in jeopardy. He expected a great rebellion if they accepted this Messiah. So this troubled him. Third, Herod was possessed by evil. Secular history records that he murdered members of his own family, including one of his ten wives, her grandfather, brother, and he even murdered some of his own children, one son in particular. He was suspicious. He was savage, and he was warped in his thinking. One resource I read last week uh, described him as being a paranoid tyrant. Not only was Herod trouble in the text, the uh, people, all Jerusalem was troubled with him because the news of this Messiah that uh, troubled Herod um, troubled them because they felt like he perhaps would go off into a bloody tirade. And so they were concerned. And so when Herod had called all the chief priests and the scribes together, all of the religious leaders, he inquired of them where the child, where the Christ, where this Messiah was to be born. Now, these religious leaders informed the king that the designated place of his birth was Bethlehem of Judea. Their answer was based upon the prophetic words of Micah. And so they knew exactly where Christ was going to be born. And it amazed me as I read through this text and studied this information that here they were with the prophecy of Micah, knowing that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and yet they would not travel five and a half miles, but the wise men came 800 to over 1,000 miles. Now, with this information, Herod secretly called the wise men men, uh, and, and, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And with this valuable information, Herod told the wise man to go, wise men to go and make a careful search and report back to him so that he could come and worship Jesus as well. Of course, we know he had no intentions of worshiping Jesus. He calculated from the information provided by the wise men in verse 7 
that Jesus must have been under two years of age. So he would later use this information concerning Jesus' birth to kill all of the baby boys in in Bethlehem and vicinity who were two years old or under. Now, in the meantime, the wise men continued on their journey, following the star until it stopped over the place where Jesus was. When they saw the star, that the star had stopped, they were overjoyed. Now, they were overjoyed for, uh, for a couple of reasons. First, they were overjoyed because, because they had found the Messiah. It's sort of like you and I, when we went on our search and, and we found Jesus, we were overjoyed. Does anybody remember how you felt when you first came into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? You were overjoyed. You had found the one that you were searching for. You had found the void, a place, to, the, how to fill that void in your life. And second, they were uh, overjoyed because this long, tedious journey was over. Now, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and according to verses 11 and 12, they performed four distinct intentional functions that set a precedent for keeping Christ in Christmas. Here it is. When they came to the house, when they came to the house and and, and they saw Jesus, they, they performed four distinct functions that set a precedent for keeping Christ in Christmas. That is to say, if born-again believers in Jesus Christ are going to help the world see him, if we're going to help keep Christ in Christmas, if we're going to remove the X from Christmas, if we're going to help people See beyond the shopping and the eating and the festivities. If we're going to help keep Christ in Christmas, these four distinct functions must be a part of our lives. Are you ready for them? The first distinct function is humility. If we're going to keep Christ in Christmas, we must have humility. Verse 11 tells us, when the wise men came into the house, in the presence of Jesus, they fell down. That's humility, y'all. That means they humbled themselves in the presence of Jesus. They laid aside their influence of science and philosophy and medicine and astrology. They laid aside the fact that they were advisors to the king of Persia, his court, and all high-ranking dignitaries. They laid all of that aside, and they were humble in the sight of Jesus. They laid all, all that aside because now they were in the presence of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. They laid all that aside because now they were looking at Jesus, Messiah, God's Son, Savior of the world. They laid all that aside because at last they were bearing witness to Isaiah's prophecy, the one that Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 6 and 9 when he said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government 
will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They were humble because now they were witnessing the prophecy of Isaiah. Well, the world today is arrogant. The world is boastful. The world is prideful. The world is conceited. And the world is self-consumed. If they're lost and darkened conditioned, they could care less about Jesus and will X him out of Christmas every chance they get. But our charge as his church, our duty as his followers, our responsibility as his people is to humble ourselves before him and proclaim as Mary did in Luke 138, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, I'm yours, Lord. Sign, seal, Delivered, I'm yours. That's humility to say to Jesus in this, in this world that is consumed with self. If we come to Jesus, signed, sealed, and delivered, and serve him, the world will stand up and take notice that there really is Christ in Christmas. The second distinct function is worship. Look again at verse 11. When the wise men came into the house in the presence of Jesus, they bowed down and they worshiped him. They adored him. They paid homage to him. They honored him and they revered him above all else and everyone else. Now watch the text carefully. The text says they worship him. The word they in the text, lets us know unmistakably that this was an act of collective worship. The wise men worshiped Jesus Christ as a group. That's church, y'all. They had church up in the house. And can I tell y'all something else? Although it was only a few worshipers up in there, it was mega church because Jesus was there and he was the object of their worship. So here's the reality. Here's the truth. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's the big idea. If we're going to keep Christ in Christmas and not get lost in the shopping malls, in the grocery stores, in the, at the fruit stands, giving and receiving of gifts and scrumptious dinners, we must take time collectively together as a group to worship Jesus Christ. When we worship, we send notice to the world that Christ really is in Christmas, and as a church, we intend to keep him there. The third distinct function is giving. Notice verse 11 again. When the wise men came in the house, in the presence of Jesus, 
They opened their treasures and they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts represented the best the wise men had to offer. And they were suitable for a king. Now check this out. The wise men gave their best gifts because they wanted to. That, 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 that leaped off at the page at me, y'all. The wise men gave their best to Jesus because they wanted to. Nobody forced them to give their best. Nobody begged them to give their best. Nobody bargained with them to give their best. Nobody browbeat them to give their best. Nobody coerced them to give their best. Nobody laid a guilt trip on them in order to get them to give their best. No, they simply gave their best to Jesus because it was their heartfelt desire to do so. By bringing their best to Jesus, the wise men set a precedent for the church. They set a process for the body of Christ, and they set a procedure for Christians everywhere and in all times to give our best to Jesus. If we're interested in keeping Christ in Christmas, we must give our best to him. So if we are to be diligent, dutiful, and deliberate and direct about keeping Christ in Christmas so that the world can see him and the world can recognize him and the world can, can come to, to understand who he really is. It needs to be our heartfelt desire and purposeful practice to give him the best of our commitment in worship the best of our ability to serve in him, whether or not we are on the, at the church, on our jobs, at school, in our communities. We are to give the best of our efforts to please him and the best of our passion in pursuing him. When the world sees our passionate pursuit of Jesus, they will understand that Christmas really is about Christ at least as far as God's people is concerned. Howard B. Gross published a hymn in 1902 entitled, Give of Your Best to the Master, in which we find these compe the compelling words, and I quote, Give of your best to the Master. Give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service. Consecrate every part. Give unto you it shall be given. God his beloved son gave. Gratefully seeking to serve him. Give him the best that you have. If you want to keep Christ in Christmas. If you want people to see Jesus in the workplace, in our communities, at church, if we really want them to see Jesus, if we really want to help them to keep Christ in Christmas, y'all, we must give our best. Not the shoddy leftovers. 
not the lazy attitude, not the laissez-faire effort, but we must give our best. When they see us give our best, they will know that we take Christmas seriously, and for us, Christ is the reason. The fourth distinct function is loyalty. Verse 12 states, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. That took courage. That took determination. That took commitment to go home another way. Herod was the king. He was dangerous. He was warped. He was a tyrant. To go home another way meant that they could risk their lives if Harold found out and caught them. But they were loyal at all cost to Jesus. The wise men returned to their country another way because they were loyal to Jesus. Likewise with us, when the world that is, those who deny Jesus, those who defy Jesus, those who decry Jesus, see the unrelenting loyalty of his church. When they see our unrelenting loyalty in evangelism, reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ, when they see our unrelenting loyalty to teach people, to train people in the ways of Jesus, when they see our unrelenting loyalty in missions, whether it's at home, through serving the needs of people around us, giving to children during this time of year, when they see our unrelenting loyalty globally, Jesus is glorified and Christ is kept in Christmas. When they see our loyalty, Jesus is glorified and Christ is kept in Christmas. When the church... When the church refuses to bow down to evil ways, Jesus is magnified. And when Christ, and Christ is kept in Christmas, when born-again believers reject deceitful practices, Jesus is deified and Christ is kept in Christmas. When those who worship and adore him rebuff wicked behavior, rebuff wicked Behavior, Jesus is exemplified. He's lifted up for the world to see Christ is kept in Christmas. So here's the takeaway from the wise men, from the magi. Here's the big idea. Here's the main thought. Here's what I want you to remember. Remember while you shop, be mindful. While you eat, be thankful for family and friends. Appreciate your gifts, the ones given and the ones received. Enjoy the festive season. But most of all, remember Jesus is the reason for the season. And it is our responsibility to do our part to keep Christ in Christmas. Amen. Amen.